Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Today's episode of Beyond the Fence Line comes to you from Texas Wildlife Association headquarters in New Braunfels, Texas. TWA has been an essential partner in the success of Texas Agricultural Land Trust since its inception. TALT is very proud of the partnership with Texas Wildlife Association and thankful for their support over the years. Welcome to Beyond the Fence Line. My name is James Oliver. I currently serve as the Director of Engagement uh, for Texas Agricultural Land Trust, and I am your host for today's podcast. We're going to be talking about a subject that most of you listeners know all too well. The increase in rural land values and the pressure to divide and sell. Joining us today is Kelly Langdon. Kelly currently serves on the TALT board, and his family has very recently donated an easement on their Fall Creek Ranch near Granbury in North Texas. Kelly, welcome. Hey, James. Thanks for having me in today and uh, looking forward to visiting with you about different issues and uh, being part of this podcast. Your family has been on the same land for four generations, dating back to 1882. That's quite a legacy. Can you tell us a little bit about your family land? Yeah, sure. So basically, mom and dad uh, first started out. uh, They were married, and they lived in Clarendon, Texas, in the Panhandle for a few years before they moved to Granbury. I was was born in 1983, and uh, I grew up on the ranch, on Fall Creek Ranch, and have been been there ever since and have worked for them, uh, even work for them currently today. My dad's uncle, Jack Langdon, had bought the bought the ranch, and I'm not sure the exact date. I think it was back in the probably the late '50s, something like that. And uh, he had the ranch, and he knew that uh, my dad would be interested in running the ranch and living out there. And so, uh, the original ranch was about 600 acres, I believe, and Dad was uh, mom and dad were living on the ranch, running cattle and uh, basically making land payments to uh, Uncle Jack. And uh, it got to be, uh, Uncle Jack got kind of ill, and uh, it was kind of close to his death, and it just happened to be uh, my dad's 40th birthday. And for my dad's 40th birthday, Jack uh, forgave the rest of the note that uh, that uh, my parents owed on the rest of the the land of the original 600 acres. And, uh, from then on, it was, uh, when I was growing up, my brother and I and mom and dad were the only ones that lived out there on the ranch. It was always a, always a struggle. We, uh, mom and dad instilled hard work in us and, uh, you know, mom boarded horses and we ran cattle and it just seemed like we, mom and dad, you know, I was just a a young kid, so I didn't really understand all the economics behind it. But uh, nowadays, when I've had conversations with mom and dad, I, I realize the amount of work and sweat and tears that they put into the place of getting it what it is today. You know, they started out with the original 600 acres, and then uh, throughout the years, they were able to add 100 acres here, 200 acres here, and there's, there's a, it was just, they were always making land payments, and uh, so we didn't do, we didn't have a lot of extra disposable income. We didn't go 
on family vacations, uh, like most people did, uh, you know, everything always went back into that ranch, trying to build it up as much as we could. Basically today, now it's, uh, about 1,280 acres and, uh, we're still, still to this day trying to figure out, you know, there's not a lot of land left that you can add to it, but there's, you know, a couple different places that are a hundred acres here or 70 acres here that we're trying to figure out how to buy it. And, uh, it's a lot harder to do it today because of land values than it was, you know, 30 years ago. You know, you made an interesting comment that even though you're still trying to add to the ranch today, there's just not much left to add to it. Um, there's some land trend data that comes from Texas A&M's Natural Resource Institute. And this is, this is kind of based over on the I-35 corridor. But uh, on average, working lands have experienced a 24% increase in land value since 2012 and a 291% increase over uh, a 20-year period. I would have to think that uh, these same pressures like you're talking about have removed some of that opportunity to, to add to that ranch. Um, just in, in terms of right there around where you are today, what have you guys seen in the past 12 years in terms of values and uses of the land close to you? Okay. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Uh, there's some data that came out a few years ago. It was talking the Fall Creek Ranch is in Granbury and Granbury's in Hood County. And most of our ranch is in Hood County, but part of it's across the county line in Johnson County. But uh, it it surprised us, but it really didn't surprise us. One one day we were watching the news and it talked about, this was probably, I don't know, eight, eight years ago maybe, and we saw on the news that Hood County was the eighth fastest growing county in the nation. And uh, we were just dumbfounded. We said, how could our little small town Granbury be, be that? And, you know, there were a few other counties. There's one in Florida, and I can't remember the other counties that were ahead of us. But uh, it just can't, goes back to, you know, there's right now there's 1,200, I think 1,200 families moving to Texas every day, and we're losing about 1,000 acres every day to uh, developers and, you know, turning farm and ranch land into, you know, neighborhoods and, and houses. And uh, for me, unfortunately, I've seen that firsthand in Granbury. It, it's, uh, it's hit home more than, you know, some people out in South Texas or West Texas or something like that. But in Granbury, you know, I remember going going to high school in Granbury and you'd drive through town and I think there was one stoplight going through town and you could get from our ranch to, you could get to the other side of Granbury to the high school. When I drive to high school, I could get there in probably 15 minutes. And nowadays you're going to be lucky if you can do it in 45 minutes. That's if you hit all the lights the right way and, and uh, traffic's not too bad, but it can, it can probably take you over an hour pretty easily. But uh, yeah, going back to the, to the question of, you know, being able to buy additional land and that kind of stuff, there's just not a lot of land left that you could actually buy to add to a ranch. It's, it's been, you know, there's shopping malls built on it or restaurants built on it or subdivisions built on it. And, it's kind of kind of crazy if you look at the data on Granbury. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but you you pull it up and you you look at the city of Granbury population. And I remember when I was in a, in high school, I would drive by the the city of Granbury sign and it had the population. It was five thousand three or something like that, and that number was very skewed because 
yeah, there's 5,000 people living in the city limits of Granbury, but all around Granbury are these housing subdivisions. And I'll give you, for example, Pecan Plantation is uh, in in the city or considered Granbury. There's more people that live in the one housing subdivision of Pecan Plantation than the whole city of Granbury. <laughs> and you have multiple I mean, you've got Pecan Plantation, Decordova, Rolling Hills Ranch is a new one. And there, you know, there's a, a place just north of us called the Petite Hill Ranch. And it it, uh, it used to belong to the Petite family. And they've just recently uh, started subdividing it and building houses out there. And, uh, you know, there's just, it's it makes it hard to add any, any land to a ranch. And uh, not only just because the land is not available anymore because it's houses, housing, but that many people moving in and the developers developing it have made the, the land values just skyrocket over the last, I would say probably the last 15 years probably. So that 70 and 80 acre tract that you're talking about, what, what would current values be undeveloped? Yep, undeveloped with just being in, in ranch land, I'm guessing, you know, on a, a, a tract, what I would say that small, 70 acres, you're probably going to be looking at $20,000 plus an acre to be able to buy a 70 acre tract, which makes it very difficult. I mean, you know, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you might have been able to buy that for $1,000, $1,500, maybe $2,000 an acre, and now you're looking at $20,000 an acre. I mean, it's just, it's really hard to come up with that kind of change to, you know, add add an additional 70 acres. I mean, when, when you look at the value of that 70 acres, you think, gosh, 20 years ago, I could have bought and added 500 acres to the place for what 70 Or, or yeah. today, I could sell out and the family could retire. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously your parents have spent the vast majority of their married lives putting this place together. What have they done? And you talked about your mother running a boarding facility and, and y'all ran cows, but what other things, activities have you done to try to fend off this pricing pressure to, to hold on to the ranch? Well, so, so with a place that's about, like I said, our ranch is about 1300 acres and that's, Big enough not to be a hobby farm, but it's not big enough to be like some of these ranches that are 10,000 acres or 20,000 acres or plus that uh, where you can run enough cattle to support a family. On 1,300 acres, on our 1,300 acres, we run about 40 to 50 mama cows on it. And, uh, you know, we could run more than that on it, but we have a big emphasis and uh, I do, and I have a special place in my heart. My mom has a special place in her heart for the wildlife that live on the ranch. You know, wildlife don't, they don't have a voice. They don't, they don't get to raise their hand and say, Hey, I, I need help. My, my, my home's being destroyed or somebody, somebody's moving in and building a house and I'm losing my house. It was important to us to give that, that voice to the wildlife and to run a conservative number of head of cattle to keep the place in the ag exemption and to continue to run a ranching legacy on it and have cattle, but not so many cattle to the point where you ruin the habitat for the wildlife. Yeah, we could run, you could probably run 200 head of cattle or 250 head of cattle on 1300 acres, but there wouldn't be any grass or anything left for some of these wildlife species to live. And uh, to me, that's just as important as the ranching aspect of owning and managing land. And so you, you start thinking about, okay, so you want to keep something here for wildlife. You want to keep running cattle on it. 
my mom and dad still live on the ranch and run the ranch. I help them full time. You start trying to figure out, hey, you've got to pay a salary to Kelly to help. And, and then we, Joe and Karen, still have to make a living to live off the ranch. Well, 40 or 50 head of cattle is not enough. It's not enough barely for one family to survive, much less two families to survive. And so you, that's where we came up with the horse. You know, that's when mom and dad were boarding, boarding horses for the public for a while. That's something else that you can do with the ranch that doesn't really hurt the ranch too bad. And then, uh, you know, my wife and I recently built kind of a wedding venue type deal and and it's it works great you know it's a it's a way that people we we're able to share the ranch with other people you know our average wedding that comes out we do uh we do about 15 to 20 weddings a year and uh, my wife and i run them all and so for us it's a full-time almost a full-time job on top of a full-time job that i'm doing ranching for mom and dad but you know when somebody comes out and wants to do a wedding it's always on a saturday so they come out and do a rehearsal the, the Friday before. And so I'm tied up on Friday. I'm down there the whole day, Saturday, helping them. And then we clean it up on Sunday, getting it ready to do again in case we have another one the following weekend. But you have to be able to do certain businesses like that to create an income to where you can continue to work on the ranch and keep the ranch together. So you, you were talking about uh, the importance of wildlife to your mother and to yourself. Um, are you are y'all generating any income from the wildlife at this point? So, not not necessarily. We part of the ranch is high fenced. Our, our neighbors put up a, a high fence on part of their ranch, and uh, it made sense for us to high fence part of ours. And so I'm I am now starting to run. Uh, I haven't sold currently. Haven't sold any deer hunts or anything like that. But I've I've stocked it with you know you know trophy whitetail that. Uh, will be ready to be harvested, you know, when they get to be five, six years old, uh, we'll, ha- we'll start harvesting some of these deer. And, you know, a deer, one deer has a whole lot less impact on ranch land than one cow does. And when, and that was my thoughts or my aspects from it is, yeah, you can run cows on it and you don't have to deal with the public. You take your calf crop, you take it to the livestock sale and sell them. But the, the return on investment or the return on, I don't know how you would say it, on the use of the land, if I can turn around and sell a whitetail hunt and, say, sell that for $8,000 for a trophy hunt, you know, that takes eight calves to sell mm-hmm. what I could sell one deer hunt for. But you have to deal with the public and, and, and that kind of stuff. But to me, that makes more sense selling a being able to sell a deer hunt than it does put eight more mouths to feed of of the cattle on it in that close to population uh any eco tours eco tourism you know uh birding any of those things are y'all doing any of that right now so uh eco tourism is kind of an odd question because even when we do weddings our our wedding event venue is basically in the heart of the ranch i mean you you've been there james and you've seen it it's got a it's got fall creek that runs right through it and uh, a waterfall that goes through it where the ranch gets its name and so our venue is a little bit different than your typical wedding venue that you know there's a there's a million you know a lot of people have started up wedding venues and you can go there's a million of them in dfw but i would i would venture to say that there's not one that is 
similar to ours. They're very unique. Yep. And, uh, you know, when you talk about ecotourism, when somebody comes and takes a tour of our venue, I think that's what attracts them to our venue is saying, hey, I'm out here in the middle of a 1,300-acre ranch. There's wildlife around. You know, we have a coastal field that's right behind the venue. Sometimes there's cattle grazing in there, depending on what time of year. And uh, it gives you that sense of ecotourism being there. And, uh, and then, you know, in return, when they have all their guests that come out for their wedding, those people get to experience that same, same ecotourism. Uh, you know, one of the very first weddings that we did is uh, there was a couple that uh, the bride's mom and dad lived in this uh, same subdivision pecan plantation that I mentioned earlier. And their daughter was stationed at a military base in New Jersey, as well as her uh, future husband, her fiance. And so the daughter was busy. So she left it up to her mom and dad to find a wedding venue. So they came and took a tour here. And I would say probably 80 to 90% of the people that were, and that was probably 150 people there. And I bet 90% of the people were from New Jersey that, really? that came out of state, came to Texas. And I'll tell you what, they, they loved it. They just ate it up. I mean, the cows were in the background. They were more interested in, in getting selfies with some Texas cattle behind them than they were taking pictures of the bride and groom that were there, I think. But, uh, you know, so as far as ecotourism, the wedding kind of ties into that. But, you know, from a whole whole different business of just having people out to do come take bird watching and that kind of stuff. We haven't, we've never gotten into that. Uh, just about every couple that comes out, we have a, we have a house on the Creek there that the, the brides kind of get ready in and do their hair and makeup. And every time they come out, they, everybody always asks, Hey, is there, y'all rent this out on the weekend? Or, you know, we, we live in DFW. We'd love to get out of the city and bring our family or kids out here and camp out for the weekend and hike around and, uh, you know, we've just never, you know, dove into that yet. It's something that we may in the future sometime, it, you know, there's definitely a market for it, but, uh, I'm not sure I'm ready to open that can of worms. Just say, it's just what you need yeah. to know the job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Kelly, you know, it was a very big honor for me to get to sit and visit with your parents as, as they started down through this process. And I know how incredibly important it was to them to transfer this to the next generation in one piece. Ken, do you mind describing how those discussions played out within the family as you started it? Yeah, absolutely. So I talked earlier about, you know, the sweat and tears that mom and dad, I mean, basically for their entire working uh, career, put this ranch together. And I was fortunate to to grow up on the ranch and see the hard work and uh, still work for them now. And they they were not concerned i don't think so much with my brother and i about us selling the ranch but they they were concerned you know maybe maybe grandkids or future grandkids or great grandkids whoever you know that's a that's a typical problem for for family ranches is that you know somebody had the ranch they leave it to the next generation they may or may not uh sell it then or or subdivide it but eventually down the line somebody subdivided subdivides it and the the ranch ends up going from one big piece to maybe two pieces or maybe one big piece to three smaller pieces but uh you know that that's the problem with land fragmentation and and somebody trying to leave a, a ranch to their heirs and you can see it not only in texas but across the united states 
basically what mom and dad came up with and what I came up with with them in discussing this, as I said, we kind of said, you know, doing a conservation easement with TALT will protect the land. I said, it might, you know, 100 years from now or 500 years from now, the Langdons might not own it anymore, but at least we know that this 1,280 acres is still going to be one big chunk of land and it's not going to be cut up. There's not going to be a shopping center on it. There's not going to be a thousand homes put on it. It's still going to be a working Texas cattle ranch, whether the Langdon family owns it or somewhere down the line, the Langdon heirs decide to sell it. Then the ranch still has to go, whoever, they can sell it and whoever buys it still has to abide by the conservation easement that is held with TALT on it. And, uh, you know, that just gave mom and dad a peace of mind knowing that everything that they worked so hard their whole lives to put together would stay intact forever. What does it mean to you to know that the ranch your, your parents have worked their lives to put together, the ranch that you're raising your children on, uh, is going to be protected forever. What does it mean to Kelly? Yeah, it's uh, kind of a odd deal. You know, I was I, I was raised on the ranch, and so I'm almost in the exact same boat as to me as what my mom and dad were. You know, a, a lot of the times the parents own it, the, the kid leaves the nest, flies the coop, and lives in town somewhere and doesn't have any interest in the ranch until it's time to sell the ranch one day, and then they're interested in the money. And for me... It's it's not about that at all. It's, uh you know, I could care less if the ranch is worth $100 million or if it's worth $10. It, it You know, it's not in my mindset to sell it. I mean, if I if I sold it, what I would do with the money is I'd be looking for the exact same thing. I'd be looking for the same ranch to reinvest it in. So, I mean, it's pointless to, to sell it. And uh, so I just, I just sleep easy knowing that uh, mom and dad were able to you know, luckily find TALT, find the organization that could help them put this ranch into this easement and forever protect it. Let me tell you, part of the reason you have land fragmentation is because a mom and dad or some parents own a piece of property that's worth a lot of money. And when they decide to leave it to their heirs, they're the whoever the beneficiary of that that receives that property or in this case a, a ranch has to pay if it's over a certain amount have to pay back to the government uh, in a state tax and you know that depending on who's in office and who the current administration is that estate tax uh, limitation varies I know when we first started looking at conservation easements you know I think it was around you know five million dollars that you know, my mom could leave tax free and that my dad could leave tax free. Now it's back to, or now it's up to, I think around $13 million that each one of them can leave tax free. But there's some talk that, uh, that it may go back down to $5 million or maybe even $1 million or something like that. So when you have a big piece of property that you're trying to leave to somebody and you leave it to them and, the, the heirs have to try to figure out a way to pay for it. You know, there's there's no way that, I mean, if, if mom and dad left me this ranch and then I, I own, say I owed a two or $3 million estate tax on it, there's no way I would be able to come up with that money without cutting the ranch up and selling part of it, aka land fragmentation, to be able to keep the other part of it. 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that a conservation easement has done to help us is, you know, I'll just, I'll just make figures easy, but say, say you've got this ranch, say you've got a thousand acre ranch that's worth, you know, $10 million and you put a conservation easement on it and the conservation easement values change or, or depend on where the ranch is and how susceptible it is to being developed and cut up. But say you have $10 million ranch and you put an easement on it and the easement's worth 30%. So you have a $3 million easement that just made your ranch on paper worth $7 million instead of $10 million. So those, those things that like that can help leave it to a, to somebody and help get the value of the property down to be able to leave it estate tax free. And I mean, even right now, the conservation easement helped us doing that, do the, the conservation easement helped us do that. But we're even looking right now at putting, putting it into a trust or putting it into a LLC or a limited family partnership, anything that we can do to get the value of that ranch down to where they can leave it to my brother and I without us having to sell part of it to keep the rest of it is the main goal. How big a factor was that estate tax treatment of the conservation easement? How big a factor was that in the decision to place the ranch in a conservation easement? For us, it wasn't, it wasn't a big factor. That I'm sure for some people it would be. I know I've talked with mom and dad, and we would have put this, in, we would put this ranch into a conservation easement without any of the tax incentives, but that's just who we are, and that's what that's that's how important this ranch is to us to keep together. That uh, you know whether or not it made it reduce it in value or not, we would have still done this just to protect the ranch. So the the board of Texas Agricultural Land Trust is is made up of members of Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers, Texas Farm Bureau, and our partners here today, Texas Wildlife Association. Um, and then there's a few at large spots, but over, over the years, as, as the organization has added more easements, um, we've felt like it's critically important that we have those easement donors serve on our board. And so you've recently come on to the board at Tall. Talk about that experience a little bit, please, sir. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew what TALT was, but I had no idea that uh, Chad Ellis was going to ask me to be be on the board. He, you know, mom and dad, we finished putting the easement in, and then I got a call one day from Chad saying, hey, Kelly, would you be interested in being on the, the board of directors for, for TALT? And uh, for me, that was a great, great honor to be able to even be acknowledged and to, to be asked. And so I readily accepted, but, uh, you know, from a, from a con conservation easement holder, you know, our practices on the ranch, we have done there, we have made no changes of the way we operate our ranch before easement versus after easement. I mean, the only, only thing that changed for us was the protection knowing that in the future, the ranch isn't going to be cut up. But I mean, we still, run cattle on the ranch. We still build fences where we need to build fences. We still, you know, if we need to do do whatever, any of the ranch activities that we normally do, I mean, we're not hindered or handcuffed or any anything by any means of uh, by placing the easement on it. Now that you've been through the complete process, uh, what advice would you give others that are thinking about going down this path? 
That's a that's a great great question or a great comment. Uh, so I'm currently working with some other ranch owners that are are next to us. There's a, a guy that owns about another 1,300, 1,400 acres that. Uh, he doesn't butt up to us, but it's we, there's just a one small parcel of land in between us. Had a had meetings with him and his uh, estate planner and lawyers, and uh, I think the that he's going to move forward with putting his uh, ranch into a conservation easement with Talton. I think it just gave him the confidence, knowing that hey, you know, in in Hood County, there was nobody that had put a conservation easement, and nobody. When, when you're doing, this is a huge decision that you're doing, and nobody wants to be the guinea pig to be the very first one that's going to do it. And so mom and dad and I were the ones that kind of said, hey, let's do this. And I think it's given people kind of a, a peace of mind or, you know, they can they can call us and ask questions. Hey, was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? Would you have done something different? And up to this point, I mean, it, it was a great decision. I mean, James, when you and Chad came came in and and uh, talked to us about doing an easement, I mean, it was a for us it was a no brainer. I mean, you know, for I'll back up for a little bit. So several years before we ever put a conservation easement on the place, Mom was always kicking the idea around. Hey, I, I think this is something that we want to do or that we should do. And my dad was the typical stereotype that, oh, no, we're not going to do that. That's given, we're not going to sign it over to the federal government. And, you know, he had the mindset that, hey, we're going to do this. And then some guy's going to drive out in a black Mercedes with a suit and tie and be telling me what I can do and what I can't do on the ranch. And uh, that's the mindset that he had. And unfortunately, that's a lot of the mindset or the perception that people have had around conservation easements. And I think Talt is starting to, to break that trend and you know, show people that that's not the case at all. I mean, Talt, the, the Talt board is made up of farmers and ranchers. And, uh, yeah, they come out and do a, a monitor, but we drop, we hop in the truck with, with Hannah Blankenship and drive around, and she says, okay, have we built any new skyscrapers out here or anything that I need to know about? And I said, no, we can drive around and check things out, and it's a real laid-back, easy-peasy easy type deal. And, uh, you know, just being on the board, I think, has helped other people realize that and I can talk to other landowners around us and it just gives them that vote of confidence to say, hey, maybe this is something, you know, I've been kicking this idea around too and maybe it's something that, that I needed to do. But, uh, you know, we going back to my dad's views on it and my mom and, uh, you know, she had, she had talked about, hey, maybe we should do this, maybe we shouldn't. And I mean, it went on for years of maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. I said, you know what, Mom, why don't you just make a phone call and see if we even qualify? I mean, we've got some oil and gas on the place where they've done some drilling and we've got some pad sites. I said, we may not even qualify. I don't I don't know anything about conservation easements, but you ought to call and just see, get them out here to come look at the piece of property, see if it if they would. And, uh, you know, when, when Chad and uh, at the time Jacqueline Roberts was with us and, uh, and James came out, and I mean, it was like sitting down with family, to be completely honest, and uh, it just made the decision super easy to to move forward and say yep this is exactly what we need to do was the actual process more difficult than you thought was it easier than you thought uh i can't speak i'm not the one that does all the paperwork and the and uh has to sit down at the (laughs) unfortunately i think one day i will be but uh you know that'd be that'd be a great question to ask karen langdon my mom but uh she's the one that has to sit down and file the paperwork and answer the emails and that kind of stuff. And it, it was a, 
a uh, you know a lengthy process, but uh, obviously it wasn't wasn't too bad. I've uh, talked to other landowners around, and uh, personally, what I've what I've found is people that live on the land, grew up on the ranch, or maybe still living on the ranch, seem like they're the ones that are more interested in in putting a conservation easement on the place to protect it versus somebody that owns a ranch and and doesn't even live on maybe they live in the city and and use it as a weekend type place they're they don't seem as interested in doing conservation easements but i've come across a lot of landowners that might have they might have 150 acres or they might have 200 acres or maybe 400 acres or whatever but they might not have the they might be living on the land barely scratching by they love the land they don't want it broken up They'd love to be able to put a conservation easement on it, but they don't have the funds to do the the transaction costs that it takes to to you know pay the legal fees and that kind of stuff to put a conservation easement on it. Is there a way that Talt can help with any of that? For the last several years, Talt has worked very very hard uh, to to try to establish funds and find funders that would contribute to the transaction costs. We know these things cost um, more than just time. There's, there is a, a monetary cost involved. And what we have found is um, these funders, and, and it's particularly when you're putting together other conservation easements around one you already have in place, for example, yours, uh, are very, very interested in funding those transaction costs. It, it, it uh, provides a lot of leverage for their dollars. Um, you know, if, if we use some of the numbers you talked about earlier, uh, $20,000 an acre for up to 200 acres is $4 million. And, uh, if, if they put in, you know, say 50,000 towards the transaction costs, that's, that's highly leveraging those dollars. And so we're finding some people out there and some funding sources that, uh, really look forward to those opportunities. Kelly, thank you for your time today. We, we really do appreciate it, and we appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, before we go, though, the, we, there is going to be a full-feature uh, film on the Langdon family and their legacy um, coming out later this summer. We don't have the exact date yet, but it, it's coming this summer. And always know that TALT staff is available to answer any questions that landowners might have to see if a conservation easement is a good tool for them. As always, thank you for listening to Beyond the Fence Line. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.